Well, hello, everyone, and I hope you are ready for Acts chapter 22, and it is your Bible, and it is God's word, every word of it's true, and I hope and pray you know it is all that you need, and it definitely is relatable. So would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this opportunity today. We love your word. We love what it does for us, and we know that it's written for us to be able to live the kind of life you intended for us with instruction and promises. Father, thank you for loving us that much to make sure we have all the tools we need. May our hearts be open. May we hear your voice. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen. Well, Paul has really been on a journey, hasn't he? And and I know sometimes it gets a little complicated when he goes to this town and this town and what happens in this town and this town and and uh, but but the things that we need to remember is that that he and we'll see it today. He is so on fire for the gospel, and he has had he has had many journeys, many opportunities, traveled to many many cities, and there's so many good lessons that he teaches us. So even though we don't always remember every town that he's been in and what all happened in every town, we do know the principle is that he trusted the spirit of God in side of him. And and you know, you know, I'd say it a bazillion times, we receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit to live within us on the day of our salvation. And Paul is so full of the Spirit. And you can tell by he knows just how long to stay in the city. He knows, like like back in Acts chapter 16, remember when he did not even mention that he was a Roman citizen, and he and Silas took the beating in Philippi, and they went to prison, and, and why didn't he, because we'll see today, he, he makes sure that they know he's a Roman citizen, so he doesn't get the flogging, the scourging that they are going to give him. So why not in Acts 16? And and my only explanation to that is he is so in tune with God's spirit that he he knew that Philippi was supposed to be the town he was in. Much ministry was going to be there. If he hadn't if he hadn't been been beaten and thrown in prison, he wouldn't have had that experience with a Philippian jailer. If he hadn't listened to the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't have even been in Philippi. And then he wouldn't have met Lydia and her family. So you think of how how much Paul lived by the leading of God's Spirit and how we should too, that that he wants to direct us in and help us with our decisions and and so, so many of these personal lessons can be attained from the study of Paul. And, and then we also saw last week two phrases that I kind of, you know, tried to explain, and I know they're very important, and that is when, when Paul um, didn't, when, when his friends and when the people wanted him to not go to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit had been warning all of them that Paul was heading into trouble. But Paul knew he had to go. And so they ended, and when they knew that they weren't going to be able to dissuade him from going, then they gave up and said these words, the Lord's will be done. And how important it is that when we make our plans, when when we when we have a plan for our life and we have goals to attain, there's nothing wrong with that. However, we should always we should always be praying that the Lord's will be done. And we shouldn't want anything but his will because it's perfect. And he knows the plan. He knows what's ahead. And then we saw another experience that when when Paul was being accused of of being anti-Jew, which was so not true, that he 
he was told that he had to take these men who had, who had taken the vow and had to go with them to their purification, pay for it, and, and he had to be involved in this very Jewish tradition, and, and he went along with it. He, he, wanted, he wanted to show them that traditions are fine. There's nothing wrong with the tradition if if it is not getting ahead of, of who Jesus is and that Jesus is enough. We don't tag on Jesus and tradition. Jesus is our salvation. In fact, I was talking to a, 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 one of my friends this week about um, how, we, how we get salvation. And I just wanted to make sure that she understood that salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. Now, what we do to enhance our worship, a lot of times that's in our traditions and that's, that's fine. We all worship Jesus in a different way. And if you follow your, your maybe old-fashioned in some ways, but they're your traditions and they help you worship, that's perfectly fine. But they are not what you need for salvation. Jesus, the cross, that is our way to attain our redemption. Well, then as we now move into today's lesson, we know that Paul is, well, he's going to stand up and speak because here again, another, another outcry. We, we saw how, how much of what Paul went through was similar to what Jesus went through. And last week's lesson, we kind of named many of them, but he is, about ready to speak to the crowd. The Roman commander has given him permission to speak. And he addresses, even though he is a Roman citizen and can speak in Greek, he is going to address his people. He's going to address the Jews. And he, we know that because he calls them brothers and fathers. And he is speaking Aramaic. And that's their language. And when they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So he was born in Tarshish, but he was raised and was trained in the city of Jerusalem. And then he started opening up to these people his life story. Yes, he was trained by Gamaliel, and he was very educated and intelligent. And then he makes sure they know this. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Also, the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Now, he is kind of shedding his dirty laundry. He is saying, this is what I was. It's called, and I, I had you in your, in your questions. I had you um, answer a few personal things. What is a testimony? This is Paul's testimony. And he is he's not starting in his early days. He just says he was born in Tarshish, raised in Jerusalem, um, highly educated under Gamaliel. And then he hits it right away. Even though I've had all of this in my life, I can't hardly believe it, but I persecuted, I persecuted the way, the followers of Jesus. What is a testimony? It's your personal story. And, and he is willing to say, this is what I was before Jesus, but this is what I am because 
because of Jesus. And this is what I'm called to be because of the one who saved me and I want to serve. That's what these verses are going to show. And he admits that this is what I used to do and I needed a savior. And then I asked you, do you think he was embarrassed? Do you think he was ashamed to admit that? Oh, I'm sure he was. But it was part of his story. It's part of his testimony. And then I asked you, what is yours? Do you, do you have a story? Can you, can you look back and can you um, say, this is what I used to be, but this is when Jesus came into my life and became real to me? And then this is what I'm watching him do in my life and I'm seeing him change me day by day. Now, what, what does, why is it so important? Why is a story, why is your story, my story, testimony, why, why are they so important? Why are they so powerful? Why do they work? And you're going to see when Paul starts his testimony that they're listening. So many times I start uh, my testimony with when I'm giving it to someone or I'm at a conference or something, I'll often start my talk with once upon a time. Because your, your testimony is your story. And once upon a time, I was this. And what, when you're telling your story, when you're, when you're almost listening to yourself, Go through the how how you can just tell that the Lord's hand was on your life, and he he was working to get you to know, get to know him, and he, he was leading you to the point where you knew you needed to confess and repent and see yourself the way you truly, how needy you are. And that a Savior has come to change all that. So what does a personal testimony do when you're telling your story? I think it, it makes you see and, and love Jesus all the more. Because if he hadn't come to redeem, there would be no there would be no hope for us. There would be, we would be lost and we would be forever eternally lost. And we would experience the eternal death that we so deserve. But when we're telling our story, the word grace always comes in there. Undeserved. Paul is a man of grace. He loves, he loves the word grace because he knows what grace did. So he admits, he's telling these people, I made mistakes. I was totally looking at all this wrong. And then he goes on and says, about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. Now, I went back into Paul's story and, and he is he's eliminating some of the details, but he is basically telling these people, look what I used to do, and the Lord 
the Lord Jesus himself came in this light and he, he spoke to me and he made me realize what I was doing. And I was struck blind. Now, he didn't go into three days. And, but we know that Paul had three days in darkness to think about his life even though he had really attained quite a high position in the religious world, he knew he was nothing because he needed Jesus. And then he goes on, a man named Ananias came to me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living here. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. Isn't that wonderful to know that you and I are chosen to know the righteous one, that we don't miss salvation and the opportunity to have eternal life instead of eternal death. We've been chosen before we were even born. The Lord wanted us to become one of his when you hear the gospel story, and when everybody hears this story, they have a choice they can make to either receive it or reject it. And Ananias is telling Paul, the Lord has a plan for you. His plan was for you to know him, to be able to become righteous because he was righteous. And that you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. You're going to have the opportunity to tell the world your testimony. And now, what are you waiting for? And Ananias said that. What are you waiting for? The Lord has this plan for you. Get up. Be baptized. Wash your sins away. Calling on his name. Paul is saying, this is what Ananias was telling me. Don't waste any more time. Let's get on with God's plans for your life. What are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Know that your sins are forgiven. Your past is gone. And how is that possible? By calling on his name. Again, I repeat, Acts 4.12, salvation is found in none other. There is no other name under heaven by which you and I could be saved. Paul is telling this story and he is saying, I was forgiven. Even after all what I did, my past has been washed away. I couldn't help but look at that and, and almost sense what Paul was saying. I've been forgiven. Have you ever realized what that meant for you? His willingness to forgive you despite what you've done. And maybe you don't have a colorful past like Paul. I know for me, my personal testimony is I was a good church kid. I didn't cause my folks any trouble. But I was lost until I realized that I was one of the all. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Now, that kind of testimony, sure, 
It doesn't excite people and say, oh, wow, but it is wow to me. Because I was lost. And just like the song says, Amazing Grace, how sweet that sound, it saved, saved a wretch like me. Here I'm a good church kid. Didn't cause my folks any trouble. And yet, because of my sin, because of my humanness, because of the fall in Genesis 3, because I was conceived and born into sin, I was a sinner and needed grace. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then to be able to hear words like, and Paul understood, that, and he appreciates his forgiveness. He wrote in Ephesians, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in, in, in accordance with the riches of his grace. Psalm 32 verse 1 said, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed, blessed are you whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Daniel 9, verse 9, the Lord our God is merciful, forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. Hebrews 8.12, For I will forgive their wicked ways, says the Lord, and remember their sins no more. 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that that's testimony. That's your story. That's my story. Paul is making sure that people see that even though he had great credentials as far as the world was concerned, he needed a savior. And he is grateful for him. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. So Paul said it wasn't long after my conversion that I had to run for my life. I had to listen to the Holy Spirit. And because it wasn't my time, I had a job to do. I had a mission that he had me on. Because if you remember, Ananias told him, Ananias told him that he was, he was called, that his, his life, he had a purpose. In fact, Acts 8, verse 15, Ananias said the Lord told him that this man, you, Paul, you're my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And then the verse next says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul, that's why he knew he had been forewarned. He knew his life was not going to be easy. But when he looked in the mirror and knew that he was saved by grace, by the only one that could save him, he wanted to surrender and give his life in service. And the Lord had him all planned. Lord, I replied, verse 19, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your, your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Verse 20, 
oh, I'm sure when he is saying this and he is recalling, because sometimes when you're giving your testimony, you recall just what you were. And sometimes it just kind of rips your heart out. And I think this is what Paul was experiencing here. Everyone knows, these men, they know what I used to do. In fact, they know that when Stephen was, was murdered, I stood there and watched and even guarded the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Said what? I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So the story that Paul was telling them, his testimony, oh, they they were riveted. They were listening. It was quite the story. He had him in the palm of his hands. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they hear him say that he was going to be sent to the Gentiles. You know, this whole, these, these past weeks, I have to admit to you, I, I could not believe, just like with Jesus, that the troublemakers were were the Jews. The hardest troublemakers were the Jews. In fact, even with Paul, the Jews, they were believing Jews. They were believing they had heard the gospel and received the gospel, but they were so stuck, and this is where the problems of their tradition, their traditions became so important that it became equal with Jesus. And then then all of a sudden, I started to realize something. When they weren't totally, 100% sold out to Jesus and him alone, this is the difference between Paul and these, these Christian Jews. They were Christians, they were believers, but they could not stand it when Paul said the word Gentile. When, when Paul admitted that he was called, according to Jesus, that he, Jesus would send him to the Gentiles. Then the lights came on for me. That was the problem. That's why they were coming after Paul. So the Jewish mob, they were just outraged at the thought that God's salvation would be given freely to believing Gentiles. They couldn't get past that. Freedom in Christ. Remember, we talked about that last week, that whole thing about traditions and hanging on and, and to them and have the traditions become even more important than, than Jesus and the cross and what he did there. They were still stuck with that. The Jewish mob, they were so outraged, they could not... In all seriousness, they could not because they really thought they were better than Gentiles. And so it just irked them that salvation would be given freely to believing Gentiles when they hadn't even followed the Jewish law. They hadn't grown up in this. They, they could just, it's kind of like that parable when Jesus talked about the the group of workers that came and when the when the owner of the vineyard said uh, will you work for me today and the person the worker said yes and you'll get one denarii for the day okay that was agreed upon and then at noon then some more workers came and the the owner said will you work today for one denarii. Oh yes, that'll be fine. And that was agreed upon. And then probably maybe an hour before closing time, here comes another group of workers. And the owner said, will you work for a denarii? And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the people who had worked all day for the same amount of money, 
They were in an uproar. That's not fair. Why should, why should they get the same as us? We've been here working all day. You know, sometimes we can think that. We have been serving the Lord and serving the Lord for years and years and then, then here comes someone on their deathbed who accepts Christ as their Savior and, and like the thief on the cross and they get the same reward. Hey, wait a minute. You know, think about it though. Think about how blessed those Jews were to be able to be in, in a community of God's people and that they would have, oh, they would have men like Abraham and the patriarchs and Moses and David. And when they made their wrong choices, they suffered consequences, sure, but, but if, when they were walking with the Lord, look what, look what blessings they were having. Same thing with us. I look at that parable and I think, I feel so badly for those who, who reject Jesus until the last because they have missed not only living life saved and redeemed, but also all the promises and the blessings that are in God's word, the instruction on how to live a life, how to live a life abundantly. So really, you think, well, they, got, they get the same reward, but yeah, the same reward as heaven. But I'll tell you, I wouldn't trade anything for I am so grateful I came to know Christ when I was 10 and that I've watched him work in my life through all these years. I wouldn't want it any other way. And I just can feel so badly for those who think that they can just live their life any way they want and then oh then oh on my deathbed I could accept Christ as boy that's mercy isn't it that it is definitely God's mercy but none of us knows if we're going to have that opportunity but most importantly why would you want to miss it why would you want to miss walking with the Lord daily being able to open up his word and hear him relate these verses to our heart. Take those promises and to be able to go through storms knowing that he'll never leave me or forsake me. And that I can, I can do anything through Christ who will give me the strength. And that in all of life's circumstances, I can be content. I'm learning that I can be content. Because he's got it planned. He's the, he's the blessed controller of all things. He's still sovereign and he still reigns. And I'm his child and I won't miss this for the world. That's literally. I won't miss this for all the things that the world shows me and tries to lie to me to say, this is what I need to be happy. Oh no. I would rather have the joy of the Lord far more than the happiness of the world. So they were saying, these Jews were saying, hey, we're God's chosen people. We're the favorites. No one's equal to us. And this just grinded them. And this is what caused all the commotion. They didn't have a problem with Gentiles becoming Jews because we know that some did. From, from the book of Acts, we, could, we know that there were some Gentiles that came the Jew, Jew way and became Jews. Well, the Gentiles, or the Jews didn't have problems with the Gentiles becoming Jews, but they were incredibly offended at even the thought that Gentiles could become a Christian just the way they became a Christian. Because then that would, that would imply that they were both equal. And thinking they were better, this just fried them. And that's what caused all the ruckus. The message of Jesus, the message of Paul, 
is that we all come to Jesus the same way. Jew, Gentile, foreigner, high, low society, rich, poor, man, woman. And you come just as you are. And you come through Jesus. But that's why in verse 22, when the crowd listened to Paul until he said that, the word Gentile, I circled that in my Bible because that was what did it. They raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported, what are you doing? What are you going to do? This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Now, there's something about Roman citizenship. I, I did some searching on that. And you either, I mean, being a Roman citizen was really something. It got there, there. You got it. Got you a lot of perks, and you could be a Roman citizen if, like this commander, he paid a high price for it. You could be a Roman citizen if your parents were. If a male slave over thirty years was, <coughs> excuse me. If a male slave over 30 years was freed by a Roman citizen, he became one with some limits in, in politics and that kind of thing. But if you had worked over 30 years for a Roman citizen and you were freed by that Roman citizen, you could, you could be given that as, as a gift, I guess. If you worked 25 years as a Roman soldier or 26 years as a Ro in the Roman Navy, you also could become a Roman citizen. But the fact that Paul was born a Roman citizen, that meant he was one all his life. And they sat up and took notice. And those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. This had been a strange sight for the commander. Because obviously, you know, last week when he said to Paul, do you speak Greek? When Paul started speaking in Greek, he said, do you speak Greek? And he said, I thought you were an Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago. And then when Paul explains who he is, and then he says, may I have the opportunity to speak to this mob? And the Roman commander gave him this opportunity, and then Paul started talking in Aramaic, and, and the people just were spellbound, and they were listening, and everything was going smooth. He watched Paul passionately, you know, talk probably in a language that he didn't know, but he saw the attentiveness 
And then, all of a sudden, because all Paul said was that the Lord said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles, that, all of a sudden, they turned into a mob. They erupted into this riot. This had to been, this had to been something. Just think as they were shouting, as these people were shouting, in verse 33, and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out. I, mean, I, I repeat that because what a sight that must have been. That this Roman commander, I'm sure he's, what in the world just happened here? All of a sudden, you see this tantrum. And they want to, they want to get rid of him. He's not fit to live. They're acting like selfish, immature children. What a, what a contrast. And all because, see, look what self will do. I always have said, if I believe the Lord put me on this earth to make sure people know that self, what self looks like in and of ourself. We are our worst enemy. We would definitely go down the wrong path. We are by nature selfish. And we are self-consumed. And if it doesn't go our way, all of a sudden we erupt. Self is just so damaging. And the closer that we get to Jesus, the more that we want to surrender self over to him. And we, we can do that by allowing the spirit then to have more room in our hearts, more room in our decision, more room in everything that we do in our actions. What a difference self can make and what it looks like lived out versus like Paul. He was just calm. He just wanted to share his story. He wanted them to see the beauty of salvation and forgiveness. And that then the Lord calls us into service. And sometimes in a, in a place, because I'm, I'm sure he never expected that he would be spreading the gospel of Christ to Gentiles. But the Lord had this plan for Paul, just like he's got plans for you and I. And how often doesn't self stand in the way? Well, it says here that the commander, I'm sure he, he didn't know what to do, and so he wanted to find out exactly what these Jews, what they were accusing him of, why they were act like this. And so he released him and he ordered the chief priests and the Sanhedrin to come together. And then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. I know I went into next week's chapter, but look at the confidence of Paul. Look at the difference of when, when you put self aside when your heart is right with the Lord and you're listening to the Holy Spirit's voice and you want to serve him and it isn't about you, it's about him. How many times haven't you heard me say that? And the reason why we need repetition is because we are so bombarded with self and the world is trying to tell us that that's the only way to success and happiness. And When Paul He's able to look straight at that Sanhedrin. Call them my brothers. Totally in control. Totally at peace. I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day.
I mean, Paul knows. Look, look what I used to do. I'll be the first to admit it. My life was totally disaster. I didn't know that. I didn't think it was. I thought I was doing the right thing. But it took the light of Jesus. It took the gospel just to smack me silly that I realized that personally, personally, no matter what I've achieved, no matter who I am, no matter what people think of me, I am lost. A good church kid, not causing your folks any trouble, but you're still as lost as if you had been the scum of the earth, so to speak. Lost is lost. And what a beautiful picture to see when you are so sure of your relationship with Christ. Paul was so sure of the message that he was preaching that anyone and everyone can come to the cross. But salvation is only through the name of Jesus. When you're so confident of that message, when you're so sure of what you are doing, you are not swayed. And to be able to say, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Can you say that? Can I say that? If something would happen to us right now, we were standing in front of Jesus, could we honestly say that we have done all we could do? That in good conscience, you fulfilled your duty. I fulfilled my duty. I keep going back to this beautiful, those Verses in, in Romans chapter 12, and Paul is writing, you know, actually, Luke pretty much, pretty much kind of tells us that, that Paul is pretty much at the end of his freedom. This is pretty much the end of Paul as we know him as a free man. Now, it's going to be, it's hardly the end to his witness and his youthfulness, his usefulness for God and his people. But he is going to do it under more prison guard. He's going to be more contained. And, but this is when he writes letters. When he is contained and when he's bound in chains and when he's sitting in, in, in prisons, Especially to, can you just hear him one day saying to Luke, you know what, I want to write a letter to those wonderful people in Philippi. I want, I want to talk to Lydia. I want to talk to that Philippian jailer. I want, I want to talk to all those prisoners that watched me and Silas sing hymns after we were beaten and put in the innermost part of the prison. They, they saw that the testimony that I had and I lived, it was visible, and they could see the difference. I'm going to write them. I'm going to write them and tell them that no matter what, they could be content in all circumstances, and that God will supply their needs, and that they can do all things through Christ, and rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. See that when Paul was when Paul, after Paul had lost his freedom, that's when he was writing all these letters. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself. He didn't throw in the towel and say, "Well, I guess my ministry is over." No, he he. This was hardly the end of his witness or his usefulness for God and the people. Maybe that's a spark. Maybe that's what you need to hear in this lesson. That no matter where you are, that's why Paul can say this. I, I am totally, I am totally content. I have done my best. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do you really want to worship God, the Savior of your soul? Do you really want to worship him? hand over your life. 
that's, that's our greatest worship. Hand over your life. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will. A will that's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Keep going to the cross. Keep remembering what he's done for you. Stay humble before him. Surrender your life and your will to him. Then and only then will you be able to say those words that Paul did in the middle of mobs, in the middle of being falsely accused, just like Jesus, you're able to say, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. He was willing. He was willing to give his all for a Savior that saved him. Are you willing to give your all for a Savior that saved you? Father, thank you for this lesson. It just goes right to the heart, doesn't it? But that's what you intended. Lord, we, we want nothing less. You deserve nothing less than our all. And we are grateful that we have your word, that we have your Holy Spirit that we have the truth of these particular people that remind us that, yes, we're just mere mortals, we're just human beings, but we have a power within us. And we have fruit that can come out of us. We have a story because of Jesus and him alone. Father, I pray that every one of us take a look at our life and say, oh, he deserves, in view of what he's done for me, what's my story? Have I really offered myself back to him in worship to him? What am I doing? Am I ready to face Jesus with a good conscience that I fulfilled my duty? Father, may we get going, just like what Ananias told Paul. Go, get up. What are you waiting for? Father, thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.